Hey, hey. Hello. Hey, guys. Hello, hello. <laughs> oh, finally. <laughs> That's nice, Paul. You brought the head back for John. <laughs> I'm in Cole's room again. <laughs> Ooh, that's lighter so, than I thought. Oh. So for those that don't know, Candice, she's part of our team. Candice Noah. <laughs> nice to meet Hi. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi. For, for those that didn't see it, Brennan had a uh, sudden surprise going into the hospital today, but he's okay. Oh, Jesus. And, and John, he wanted me to ex- – he's okay. So that being said, he wanted me to express that it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When I saw that, I was really tempted to be like, yes, my strategy worked. And then I thought, would he, would he take that as a joke or as an admission of culpability? I'm glad you said that because otherwise Sarah and Livia and Laird probably would have thought, and Victor probably would have thought I was an asshole because it's not an inside joke for everyone. No, no, they, they, they're right anyway. But Welcome to another episode of Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough. Unfortunately, today, Brennan could not join us. He'll be back next episode. We have Candice Nola joining us. Say hello, Candice. Hello, hello. This episode is a panel episode. It's called Rising Together because our uh, panelists are all uh, writers that started around the same time to rise up in their careers together, essentially. Um, We're going to start with Victor Laval. Say hello, Victor. Hello, everybody. And Sarah Langan. Say hello, Sarah. Hi. <laughs> and Laird Barron. Say hello, Laird. Hey, everybody. It's good to see you. Like we're saying off here, it's uh, really awesome that you're you're back and, and healthier, sir. Um, let's start with, uh, let's go to Paul Tremblay. Hello, everybody. And Livia Llewellyn. Hi, everyone. And last but not least, John Langan. Say hello, John. Oh, definitely least. Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say I'm happy to be least. That's hi. I'm John Langan, everybody. So the last two times, uh, Paul has taken a shot. You right for that. So that's good to know. Uh, <laughs> well, at his age, he has to get them in, you know, while he still can. Hmm. Says the person who's younger than I mean, older than I am. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I blew the joke. <laughs> Way to go, buddy. Uh, okay. So you guys are throwing me off. Um, Basically, this is an episode that focuses on different ways that where you have been throughout your whole career, how you fed off of each other. And um, I'm going to start with Laird on this one, but uh, this is a comment slash question for Brennan. Has there been anything that you've noticed, Laird, that you have picked up from your peers, not just the panelists here, but maybe others that have um, helped you better yourself as a person, as a writer? Uh, so on and so forth. Yes. Um, definitely. Probably in ways that might not be as in, you know, intuitive. I think when writers talk about each other, talk about either as influences, uh, artistic influences, or in some cases, anti-influences. But for me, there, it, it's sort of a, a, a mixed bag. In, in some ways, of course, that's true. I look at, uh, you know, Victor or Sarah or John and, and just say, wow, you know, I've, you know, they'll have a story or a book come out and I've got up my game. But um, I think for me, the most profound uh, impact that 
my fellow writers have had uh, has been kind of almost like finding a family. Um, you know, I, I mean, I love my family, but in some ways I'm closer to the uh, certain writers and, call, you know, colleagues, we'll just say that, in publishing uh, than I am my own flesh and blood. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I, John, be serious now. Super serious show, buddy. I think the best uh, person to answer after that would be you. The same question for you, buddy. Because wherever Laird goes, people are like, is Laird here, John? Is Laird here? Um, I uh, No, actually, I, I agree. When, um, w- when I first met Laird, one of the things that impressed me so much about him was number one, he felt like it felt like discovering this this other brother I never knew I didn't have, you know. And I was uh but we were this despite the fact that our backgrounds were so very different in a lot of ways, uh we just kind of got along in this deep and fundamental way. And and honestly, um that's kind of been my experience with with everybody here tonight, you know, has has been like, you know, I, I remember just like I met I met I was talking to Victor in the the hallway at ReaderCon, and I was—I just felt like I'm in sync with this guy, you know. Um, and uh, and Sarah and I have the whole family thing. We can't really talk about. The lawyers have instructed me not to say anything about that. But um, and I remember Olivia and I going to uh, after a KGB uh, reading. We used to go to this Chinese restaurant, and I remember her and I sitting there, and she was having like pumpkin soup, and we just we could not stop laughing. We we just were cracking each other up about it, you know. So I, I think it's it's this feeling of these people that that you just you just are in sync with in ways that that are kind of shocking to you, and I I think um, for me as as well it's this feeling of like like Laird said up your game. I also think about it as like everybody here does their work with such integrity, and I think that was what you know like like time and time and time again. Um, reading their stuff and talking to them, listening to interviews with them. Um, I've just been struck by the utter integrity they bring to, to what they're doing, which, which means a lot, um, which means a lot. Sorry. I thought I was struggling. I'm muted myself. That's a great answer. Um, Livia, how about you? Anything about pumpkin soup? Maybe. No, I'm just kidding. Hi. You know, I only, I only vaguely remember that. Um, it's starting to come back. Uh, I've been to so many KGBs and, and actually uh, that brings up, a, a, it actually reinforces what he's saying is that um, I could have, without the internet, have, you know, just found people's writing and you know, discovered what it was I needed to become a better writer or a more true writer. But um, the combination of being on live journal all approximately at the same time, and then and then meeting each other at conventions, at KGB, at, at uh, various events, uh, it, it kind of opened up this whole... Um, this whole relationship that I hadn't had in, in with other uh, artistic communities. I spent a lot of time in theater and, and I know that the, the theater crowd, they're kind of known for being really close knit. Um, 
And that never really happened for me. Um, and I was so, so a lot of my artistic frustration was the fact that, that even though I was being cast in plays and, and getting work done, I, I was not, you know, forging the kind of relationships and having the kind of cultural, uh, 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 moments and touchstones that I, th I thought I would be having. And, uh, when I'm with writers, in particular writers of, of horror and dark fantasy and, and weird fiction, uh, there's a language that we share. And and because our brains work in, in the same way, we get the same jokes. We, you know, today I, I, I retweeted something about, oh, it was Beauty and the Beast, but if the Beast was like this Cthulhu-like, you know, prince who had tentacles sticking out of his, you know, his neck. And then I posted a picture of a, a woman uh, from the 1900s uh, who had uh, uh, landed a fish that was like 500 pounds. And, and I wrote, you know, other people, you know, is this a real photograph? You know, how did she catch the fish with this, such a small rod? And then I wrote my people and then they got married, right? <laughs> And, and that's the, you know, people just get it, um, the, the people, the people in my community and, and it, it, you know, I've, I've had a lot of struggles with writing for the past <laughs> half decade. And, and so what, what keeps me going is, is the community and then the, the friendships I've forged. That's awesome. I keep hearing a uh, repetition on family and uh, it's, I mean, yeah, you, you just said friends, but really uh, with guys like you, you, this group in particular, and then there's others like Stephen Graham Jones and Nathan. Um, I always forget how to say his last name. Ballon guard, Ballon, someone else. Grood, Ballon Grood. Ballon Grood. Uh, okay. Ballon Grood. Uh, and a few others. It, it just seems like you guys all are just in this club and you either were in it or you're, you're not. And it's just really, for me, seeing that it's really cool. Um, and it makes me go, I want my own losers club. Um, not sure if that's, <laughs> nope, everyone gets it here. Okay. I'm going to move on to Sarah Langan before I uh, talk you guys all to death. So Sarah, go ahead. Well, it feels to me like this community is very different from other writing genre communities. And there's an incredible value in that. I don't know if you guys have gone to like, mystery writers or thriller writers or romance writers or lit fiction, which is like really competitive um, and doesn't feel close. And I think um, I met some of you, like Victor, I met when we were 21, right? That was a long time ago. Um, I remember meeting you all that time ago. Um, so, so there's this huge value in that. And I remember when I was younger, I had a lot of friends. So I was like, whatever, it's, it's great, I love it. But uh, as a writer, you know, I had a career and then I had kids and this does not happen to a lot of people or it doesn't happen to everyone, but it happened to me in that things just kind of fell apart. You know, the writing, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it all. And what sustained me was the relationships I had with you guys. And you continue to treat me like I had value, you know, not just as a writer, but as a friend. And, you know, that was really important. And I think that was some of the reason that I was able to keep going. So. That's beautiful. 
That really is. But it's not an exclusive club at all. You know, no. it's, yeah. Except for Brian, right, John? <laughs> okay, keep the joke going. Victor, go ahead, buddy. <laughs> I mean, I really uh, would end up just largely echoing what folks have said, like on the level of uh, just learning from the depth and breadth of what the folks here on the, uh, on this Zoom and on the larger, uh, whatever we call it, horror community, weird community, speculative, all of it. Uh, but I was actually thinking that I was going to echo Sarah also in that, um, as she said, we met each other in graduate school. And like, uh, for me, um, my first two books were uh, literary realism. Uh, and, um, and I came into, I got kind of, uh, I moved toward the speculative horror community with my third book. And the thing that uh, I noticed really almost right away was the absolute warmth and uh, welcomeness a uh, uh, welcome welcoming nature of um of the horror community in a way that absolutely as Sarah I would like just sort of like ring that bell again in a way that the the literary realist community is not uh kind um to its to each other to 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 one's peers do you know uh it's much more it feels much more clicky um fighting over they're fighting over it doesn't matter um so really all i would say is like i just was um so grateful to find not only people who 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 i shared a wavelength with and influences with but also to find just a group of writers who were good to each other because you can't that is not a guarantee with writers you know we're pretty petty people sometimes and insecure I said it. Uh, it's true for all of us. Paul Tremblay, you're next. Just insecure, and then I'm next. Um, <laughs> now, I mean, everyone's answers are wonderful. Sarah's was making me tear up. Um, and uh, John sort of stole, he'd steal it. He, he precognitively stole my integrity answer. Although, to be fair, John has been saying that for a while. And thank you, John. But, you know, quickly, I, I couldn't agree more just in terms of, like, in the now, you know, my friends who are here, I had you know, I admire their integrity, both as writers and as people and as parents, uh, you know, and just as humans, you know, and that it shines through in their writing, which I know you can't always judge a person by their writing or not, but I can say that you can for, for this group of people. Um, really briefly, you know, when I first started messing around with writing, it was always a question like, why am I doing this as a, you know, a math teacher, you know, was never around any other writers, you know, it really just started off as a solitary thing. And, you know, you know, in the late nineties for me, it was sort of the dawn of the internet, just trying to like put out little breadcrumbs out there to see what would happen. And, you know, writing these stories and, um, and really not a whole lot. And I was happening, you know, for a while, which is fine because I wasn't very good, but, you know, going to ReaderCon, I think it was 2004. Like I tried going to world horror in 2002. Um, and this was a me problem, not a, not a them problem. When I went there, I was just overwhelmed by all these people that knew each other. And I had driven 18 hours to Chicago <laughs> and spent that whole weekend uh, in the hotel room. I didn't participate just because I was just so overwhelmed and not, I don't know, just not feeling like, not feeling like I belonged or like, what was I doing? Like, who did I think I was? And then I remember driving home, just being so upset with myself. Like, man, if you ever go to another convention, you have to put yourself out there no matter how uncomfortable it is. You know, so in 2004, that just happened to be the year I actually met Matt Kressel, who runs now the KGB group. 
you know, hooked on with them. And I met John and Laird there. I think we played mafia <laughs> like Michael Cisco. And I don't know. I, I mean, it was just that feeling of, Oh, you know, not only like, not only like, here are these other people trying to do similar things, but they were my age. And that, that was important to me as someone who came to writing, you know, mainly because I was reading Barker King and Straub, like these people who I would never in a million years consider myself as something that I could do, but I could see these people not only who were going through like the same sort of literary struggles, but the, the interests and just how welcoming they were. Um, and I mean that, and that drove me, honestly, like I wanted to impress my friends and, you know, I get asked all the time, you know, who do you write for? And my answer is usually nobody. Like I write for myself, but honestly, <laughs> if I think of any audiences, it's the people that are in this room, That's except awesome. for Patrick. <laughs> oh, did he... I, I had to throw something out. Come on. It's all right. Fellow Messel. I appreciate it. Um, I, I learned with you and John, at least out of every guest ever, that insults are actually compliment. But um, I I want to know what KGB is because I don't know what that is, and you guys keep talking about it. Whoever wants to answer, it's KGB a Russian a, uh, spy industry. Well, uh, it's, <laughs> they survived the fall of the Soviet Union, and they now um, they now recruit writers. Oh. And it's also a bar uh, on the Lower East Side of Manhattan <clears throat> okay. where they run uh, many reading series like on a every night there's a different genre of reading series but they have an ongoing one that's run by uh, Matthew Kressel and uh, and is it also Ellen? Yeah, it's Ellen. Yeah. And Ellen Datlow uh, uh, and uh, they have uh, writers of within the whole tent of various genres sci-fi fantasy horror speculative coming in and read two people a night um i think it's every once a month or is it it's once a month the second yeah. wednesday of every month and it's called kgb fantastic fiction that's the series oh okay thanks guys and it's a very welcoming warm space it's a cool cool upstairs bar kind of spot uh and the other thing that's fun is you don't even need that many people to make it feel like you you actually got people to come hear you read, which is nice because you know sometimes you go to those bookstores, there's a lot of empty seats, so that's <laughs> a good really bar cool. is nice. Um, I don't and, know. Uh, that... Really briefly, sorry, John and I will be there. Plug plug Wednesday in two days. Well, actually, nice. I guess this this podcast will probably come out after. So yeah, we will sorry. have been there. Never mind. We're we're glad that you came to see us. Thank you. For <laughs> yes. I'm it was sorry, a great reading, both of you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I'm really sorry about the whole Paul thing, but okay, you know, <laughs> what I was thinking was the first reader con I went to in 2003. Um, I had a reading slot. I, I got which you know you you never for, for. I mean, I had published like two stories. My third story was was not yet out, so you never get a reading slot. I was all excited, and it was when the convention started on a Friday. And uh, so it was the convention started, say, at three. My reading was at 3.30. Uh, needless to say, there was nobody there. And that included my, my old professor, whom I'd driven to the convention. He was like, oh, Gene Wolfe's doing something. I want to go see him. Off he went. And I just sat there looking at this empty room. And I, like, I sat there and I sat there. And, I, and like nobody even poked their head in to see, like, hey, what's going on? And I thought to myself, this will be a funny story someday. And every now and again, when I see people posting photographs and saying, oh, my God, I had my reading last night and this is what I got, you know, nobody there. I think, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but 
but like, we've all been there, believe it or not, we've all been there. And there are times you still do a reading and there aren't that many people there or they're there for the bar, which I guess is something at least, right? You're like alcohol, <laughs> but it's, it gets better. Uh, Candice, why don't you jump in with a question for the uh, panels? Um, okay. Put me on the spot. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it over if you don't want to. No, 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 I'm fine. Um, since we talked about friends and ev everyone here and how you all met your group, your tribe, your home, which is exactly how I feel now about those that I work most closely with, including this guy here, sometimes, sometimes he's a pain, but, you know, we'll let it slide. So my question is, what is your reason? Why do you write? Why are you here? Like, what drives you every single day to wake up, put down words, work on your story, your outlines, your plots, your interviews? What makes you want to do this every single day, even when you kind of feel like you don't want to continue? We, anyone who wants to uh, start can just jump in. I'll steal John's answer really quickly. No, I'm just um, Really quickly, honestly, what excites me more times than not, I mean, because there are many days where it feels like drudgery and, you know, in a weird way, it's nice to have deadlines because that forces me to do things. I've always been, I've always been the good student who turns in all of his assignments in time and does the reading. So there's that part of me that I can't shake. But honestly, reading things that excite me, make me want to sit down and just try it. Like, I just want like a spark of that coolness to see if I can sort of use it and to, to create sort of like a different fire, you know, definitely a smaller one, but, um, but that's why I always have to be reading. Like um, I know some writers like avoid reading when they're working. It's like, no, if I'm working and the working's going well, I'm, I, I'm, that means I'm actually probably reading more than I usually am. Yeah. Uh, uh, for me, it has a lot to do with just I was trying to trying to write stories before I could read. So it was just sort of this thing I, that I can't explain a spark. Um, but later on, you know, like in uh, my you know early adolescence, uh, I was having a pretty rough childhood and I sought refuge. And I think a lot of people could identify with us. I sought refuge in in uh, books and there were certain authors who not only did they inspire me as writers, you know, I, I wanted to, to aspire to what they were, had accomplished someday per, perhaps, but also just, you know, they they were very comforting and, you know, um, presences in my life during that period. And so as I got older, I, you know, I never thought about, I didn't understand, you know, how, if you could make money writing, you know, that wasn't really something on my radar. I thought all authors, you know, that everybody read authors, everybody knew who, who they were. Um, and I thought that'd be pretty cool to be in a book with a Bradbury or Roger Zelazny at all. But I think the big thing for me, and it's something that keeps me kind of, kind of grounded but also sort of going forward as to your point candace like when it gets to be a dr and paul and it's a drudge 
um, and to be fair, perfectly frank, a lot of times it is it is drudgery. I mean, it's mechanical labor with a little spark of, um, you know, uh, uh, art, you know, imagination and art in there. But uh, I never wrote a letter to Roger Zelazny, and then he passed away, and that's one of my biggest regrets in life because I, if I had a chance, I'd say, hey. you got me through some really bad times and um i have been told here and there you know hey i was having a terrible divorce or my dog died or it was just this awful awful time of my life and i read the imago sequence laird i read your book and thank god somebody was having a worse time than i was i was able to gravitate to that and that has been a big payoff for me when everything else fades to think that someday some kid will you know pick up one of my books and, you know, be hiding away in their room or out in the woods, you know, in a shed, whatever they, whatever, wherever they are to get away from it, um, yeah. that they can flee there. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Victor. Uh, yeah. I would only I would add in, um, um, uh, I'm say in a way, um, like I do, I really do. I know, I know that um, there's one kind of writer. Uh, like the actual act of writing is not the pleasure. The pleasure is the thing afterward, like the mm -hmm. book itself and the sharing of it. But I actually really like writing it. I I really enjoy sitting down and just writing the stories and coming up with uh, sort of uh, whatever weird thing, whatever direction it's going to go. Even the stuff that gets a cut or deleted there's some fun in it you know uh kind of thing but the thing that um the time when it really started to become like truly fun the kind of thing where i would look forward to it every day was when i would tr when i started trying to tell myself to stop that second thought which is and what could this get me you know yeah. uh which is the thing that was always crippling me like oh i'm writing this story i'm having so much fun I wonder if I could sell the story somewhere. I wonder if I can publish this book. I wonder if I could apply for a New York Foundation of the Arts grant and get it. Uh, and um, those were genuine practical concerns that did matter and do matter. But I found that they could sometimes sour the, the, the actual joy of just coming up with something and just seeing where it took me. Um, so I can't claim that it's it's always gone because I'm married. We have two kids. I'm thinking about we have a, a mortgage on a house. I mean, I I do have responsibilities that matter very much. Um, but the times when I can be most enthusiastic about like just getting down to is when I say, okay, all that is true, but you're just going to write this story, and then we'll see. You know, we'll see where it goes. But you had fun while you were doing it. And if I can stay in that kind of like, a, you know, like a kind of like what Laird was saying um, that 10, 12, 14 year old me who just dove into a story because I loved the story and I just loved where it went. And I didn't think about like, is there a limited edition slipcase cover? Is there a, this, is there a, that, is there a, that? And if I can get back to that mindset, that's usually the best way to make it feel like, okay, let's get back to that. Let's write again. Let's write another day. Nice. I have that same thing where if if I 
my manager's always like, give me all your ideas or half your stories. And then I can look at them and tell you how you should do them so you can sell them for film. And I, I can't, like, I can't possibly do that. Cause the minute mm-hmm. someone comes in and says like, oh, you should do this or you should have this happen. I'm like, the story's dead. <laughs> like, I don't know. What it is. <laughs> like, um, and I, I don't know why I write. I really don't. I've always wanted to. It was, it's just like this thing. And I, I really love it. But, um, but yeah, that balance is really important because mm-hmm. it can be um, demoralizing to, yeah. to be creating something and working on something that you think is very good and receiving no validation. So right. there has to be a balance. Yeah, that's true. Next. Anyone else want to jump I, in on I that? I keep waiting for Livia to go. I'm like, come yeah. on, Liv, come on. Just call oh, him, just call him okay. Just be like, Livia, go ahead, please. I, 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 I didn't want to cut anyone off. <laughs> I've been sitting here thinking, you know, listening to everyone's uh, reasons why they write and thinking of my own reasons. And I, I, <laughs> I, I feel like, and I don't know where I get this from. Maybe it's from growing up in such a, such an idyllic suburban setting where everything was so perfect and, you know, the lawns were manicured and, and everyone, you know, had a job and, you know, 2.5 kids and dogs and cats and, you know, there were nice schools and nice teachers and nice clothes and we weren't rich, but it was very, it was, it was the kind of middle class that that's very rare now. Um, and, and very, um, I, I think it's because it was so plastic and, and, and underneath all the, all this suburban plastic beauty, Growing up, you you would you know go into people's houses and you'd go into your relatives' houses, and you'd see the absolute insanity and the monstrousness, and, you know people being beaten and, and the drug use and the alcoholism in in your family and other people's families, and just horrible things happening. And I just I just wanted to control that. And okay, <laughs> and so so writing is is kind of like I want to control that monstrosity, but at the same time there was something really like compelling about it, and that's kind of a disgusting thing to admit to admit that that you like there's something about that about blood and horror and and other people's tears but but it, because it was so different from 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 that outer layer you know the the candy colors and and the perfect life and and so so writing for me is an exploration of all of that what that what that meant to me what 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 it meant to other people um and and, and not just wanting to show it to readers, but wanting to show the truth of it to myself, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why so many of my stories end in such like 
like horrific and weird places because and for me, those aren't sad endings. Those are like, finally, we're going to see, you know, we're going right. to pull everything away and and we're going right. to see, you know, and maybe, maybe in the midst of all that horror, there will be something beyond horror and beauty, something, something that I'm still searching for, some, you know, that's indescribable. So right. that's, that's why I write. <laughs> You're um, just a, inter- yeah, thank you. This is go off something that you said, Livia. Um, talking about the plastic of it all and then behind closed doors. That definitely made me think of Ira Levin's Stepford uh, Wives uh, to a T pretty much. It's, it's a sad truth what you said there. So I just wanted to thank you for that. And I think we still have John, right? I was hoping I could escape. No, um, sir. <laughs> I, I, um, I love it. I mean, I, I love to write, you know, and, and I'm, I've, I, I hear what everybody's saying that sometimes, you know, you, you're struggling over that word or you're struggling about, you know, how exactly am I going to phrase this or, or in, you know, pr- present this scene. But um, there's a bit in Moby Dick where at the beginning Ishmael is like, look, sometimes I feel really terrible. When I feel really terrible, I go to sea. Like that's when I realize I need to go to sea. And that's how I feel that like, if I'm like, why am I such a, why am I in such a lousy mood? I'm like, you've skipped a couple of days of writing. And then I'm like, oh, okay. And so I, I feel like when I'm writing, especially when it's going well, but even when it's just going, I feel like more fully present and, and more fully myself and, and more fully inhabiting this existence that I have. And, and it, it's, I don't know if there's anything else that I, I can do solo that gives me that same, um, that same feeling. And um, I, I think when I was a kid, I remember reading interviews with like Stephen King and they would be like, why do you write horror? And he would be like, why do you assume I have any choice? And I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. that, yeah. But I feel like now I, I kind of do, you know, mm-hmm. I, because additionally, you know, if, if you give me a writing prompt and it's a reasonably realistic or realist ever mimetic naturalism as Salman Rushdie calls it. If it's that, you know, I'll be like, "Uh, yeah, okay. (laughs) But then if I think to myself, hang on a second, there could be a werewolf there. Then it like, it just blows up for me, you know? And, and maybe that's a sign that I am just a terminal case of arrested development, you know, fair enough. But um, when all is said and done, that's, uh, that's how it works for me. Thank you. Patrick, do you have one or do you want me to ask another? Yeah, so this kind of, uh, we we kind of ta- tackled this already, but um, not in this, not this angle. Uh, so Brennan wanted me to ask about the importance to you guys about strong a strong group of friends during solitude. I wanted to add to that what for your experience, um, and I'll start with Sarah, uh, what has a strong group of friends, specifically your writer friends, been during, because we all have different bad times and they could vary in degrees, but be it in the industry or out of the industry, what has your friends in this industry, like your true down to earth friends that are there for you when you're at your worst and they're there to celebrate at your best? Like, what have they meant to you? I can say uh, I can't articulate it that well, but all I know is I get so excited at the idea of seeing them. 
<laughs> like I'm just like, oh my God. And I feel like I, this other part of me comes to life that I doesn't get to be alive when I'm not with them. Uh, that's so awesome. that, yeah. that's, that's amazing. Uh, Laird, I'm actually just thinking of this now. Um, I know I've been joking with John, but like in all seriousness, he, him and Mike, um, were amazing for spearheading your Kickstarter. And John's very clearly like, he seems like a brother to you. I'm going to say that's my, my view of it from the spectator seat, but what does it mean to you having just been through something really, really bad, um, where you have those friends that will help you? Um, yeah, that's nail on the head. I, you know, and of course it goes way back before that. Um, it goes back to the, you know, the aughts about 20 years now, but sure this, you know, I had a, a terrible health crisis here back in January and, um, it's, you know, it was pretty close. It was a pretty close thing. And, um, John and Mike, uh, were, were there, you know, like a lot of people supported me. I, still grappling with that the the community um you know reaching out to me with notes and uh expressions of you know condolences and just you know well wishes but you, you're right to, i mean to your point um i've known mike for about 10 years i've known john for 20 and you know you find out a lot about people when uh you're at your worst and people are still there to to be your friend and um i i i don't want to say too much about it because it's just a kind of a raw a raw thing for me right now but you know my i have a long way to go before i'm back physically or mentally uh but it, yeah I, I i very much um that's kind of why you know the, earlier when you were addressing this i answered the way that i did i I, I really feel that I had a lot, I had a lot of time to, th to think about things as I was lying there paralyzed on the table. And one of the things that really hit me at my lowest point is just that uh, the, the, the greatest thing that I've gotten out of being a, a writer is being part of the, the community, specifically my, my, my close circle of friends, but also the wider circle of friends, colleagues, uh, fans, publishers, you name it. Um, so many people have, have shown great kindness to me over the years. And I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but that's, it's certainly inform it, it, It's certainly informing how I think about going forward in, in this writing life. That's wonderful. John, uh, how about you, man? Um, I really want to say something snarky and funny, but you know, thanks Laird. Thanks for taking all the air out of the room. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, geez, I, I don't even, I don't even know. I, I mean, um, writing, it's a lonely business, right? It's you and the, and yourself, um, and the piece of paper and, and whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's nice that there are people out there uh whose opinions you respect uh telling you good job um that uh, that never and and also um yeah spurring you on i mean i think that's the other thing you know is is um I, I feel like everybody here keeps me honest 
you know, if, if I read, I don't know what, you know, take your classic author and I'm like, Oh, I'm not that good. You know, and like, well, so what he's Charles Dickens, what can you do? You know? Whereas if I'm like, Oh, it's Paul, come on, you know? So, um, so I, I feel like everybody here also like in, 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 you know, sort of like, like by their continued ambition. And, and it's not just that they're ambitious. It's that they've got the talent to back up that ambition. You know, there's nothing worse than being ambitious and talentless. Um, but, but, you know, the, the fact that, and, and the fact that everybody here does things in, you know, that they're, we have, we have a lot, I think in common in terms of, you know, we all read Stephen King when we were kids, you know, like, like we all, we're all within a few years of each other age wise, um, except for Trembley. He's super old, but we, <laughs> we also, so we listen to a lot of the same music, you know, we, we consumed the same media. We, we grew up in the same, under the same sort of cultural umbrella. Right. Um, so we have that in common, but, it, but, but you look at how diverse the work is. Um, and yeah, there were a couple of, you know, Stephen Graham Jones, I think of as, as part of this group as, as well, Nadia Balkan, although she would probably run away shrieking, but I think of her as, as well, you know, um, but, um, and I'm sure there's other people I'm forgetting, but, but like, there's such an amazing diversity, um, not just within each individual writer, but like within each individual writer's work. You know, like, like I can, yeah, I remember reading like Big Machine and being like, holy cow, this is amazing, you know? And then I read The Changeling and I was like, how does he keep doing this? Because it's such a different book in some ways, but it was, I mean, I couldn't put it down, right? And I, I could, you know, I could spend like the whole rest of the podcast just going through everybody one by one, you know, and, and just saying like, like, these are such a fearless group of writers too, you know, that, that they just, I, I feel like if there's a, and this is me being catty and unfair, but if there's a limitation to a lot of, of quote unquote, literary realism or medic naturalist, or if you want to phrase that, it's that they're not willing to, to risk enough. Maybe they're not willing to be ridiculous. Um, and I feel like you have to risk that, you know, no, no great payoff without, without great rewards. Oh, great. I've driven Patrick away. But um, I, um, I, I feel like everybody here takes such amazing risks with, with what they do. And so that, uh, that never gets old for me. I'm always excited when I get something new by, by uh, anyone here except Paul. It was just that Patrick had planned. He knew this was the intermission when John would go on for 15 minutes. Old John. <laughs> so I guess Paul's up next. What's up, Paul? What oh, you got? Boy. Um, yeah, I mean, very similar to Sarah's answer, first and foremost. I mean, it's just fun to hang out with, you know, with, with these folks and, you know, uh, my friends. I mean, because I do like, I get like a, I get my batteries are recharged afterwards. You know, especially if it's the kind of thing we only see each other two or three times a year, you know, and you sort of fall into the the day to day, you know, it's just nice to spend time around people who, you know, are, are going through like the same things that you are, because, you know, as John mentioned, it being like a solitary thing, you know, I, I know, well, it might be a little bit different for Victor because, you know, his wife is a writer too, but like, you know, <laughs> oh, for everybody else, it's like, ah, you know, for me, it's like, you know, I'm just off doing my own thing and, you know, at the school I teach at for a long time, they couldn't have cared less. Um, and, you know, briefly, you mentioned, you know, your writers seeing you at your worst. I think it's really only uh, Livia who saw me at my worst when I arrived at 
World Horror 2011, and we were in the bar, and I asked for sliders, and I asked the bartender, do these sliders come with pickles on them? And he looked at me like I was an asshole. He's like, yeah, there's sliders. Like, there's no pickles. They came out and they had pickles over them. And that, I I don't remember much other than a haze of rage. Oh, there no, might have been like pickles fly. <laughs> I was I was you, also you at were, that table. Thank you. You were justified. You were justified. <laughs> Paul, real quick, since John keeps interrupting you, what? who's your favorite Langan, John or Sarah? Oh, wow. Uh, I was going to say it's hard, but no, Sarah, clearly. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Sarah. I, I, sorry for roping you into that. Go on, sir, as you were. No, it's a question we all get constantly. I know. I'm and the answer is always me, John. <laughs> <No>. Better glasses. <laughs> Sarah actually uses paragraphs, John. Oh. <laughs> so, Paul, I don't want to pass the ball on to Olivia if that's not your whole answer. <laughs> I... uh, yeah, no, pa pass it on. <laughs> okay. Olivia. <laughs> Wait, I kind of forgot the question. I was just kind of like listening to everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was. Uh, um, I, just, I need I need some direction. Otherwise, I'll just start talking again and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> just, so basically it was. What has your experience been throughout your running career with having a close knit group of friends that you can rely on in the bad times and then also celebrating the good times? Well, actually, I, I think I kind of answered my own question is it's given me direction um, <laughs> because I, I, and boundaries, which is something I don't have as a writer. I will um, but actually kind of before before I would say before I went to Clarion and and really started like like seeing people in person and having having relationships in the real world um <laughs> I was just like behind a screen all the time and I was just writing and I wasn't really concerned about deadlines or 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 markets and and I'm not that's not a bad place to be but um but I also, I mean, as you can see, uh, just from like 10 minutes ago, I get really emotionally into my writing. And um, uh, this, this has always been me as an artist, as an actor, I was this way too. I was always willing to go to the bad places. And then I was always willing to go a step beyond. And, um, and it, it can make you a pretty, not a miserable person, but you know, sometimes miserable, sometimes fucked up, sometimes extremely lonely. If you're always in your feelings, you know, and you don't have people to kind of pull you out and say, okay, put some pants on and, and go outside and have a drink like a normal person <laughs> and talk about writing like a normal person without, you know, crying or falling down. And, <laughs> and, and I would do that and I would have conversations and, 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 and they, but they, but everyone understands me when I talk about, you know, you know, feelings and writing and, and what, what we become involved in when we write and what we feel like when we're not writing. And, and, um, and it's just helpful to, to have those, those real life relationships to kind of like, I mean, we're all in the ocean, but you know, sometimes you kind of like dip down under the waves, and, and you need you need other people to kind of lift you back up and say it's okay. You know, you you can keep moving along wherever you want, but 
but don't drown. <laughs> so that that's to me what the community, what writing, the writing community is, is in particular, the speculative fiction community is about is, is being able to do my own thing, but, but knowing there are people around me who won't let me drown. That's awesome. Uh, Candace, speaking of people that won't let us drown, you will not let me drown. <laughs> um, okay, so all of those are great and actually reflect a lot of how I feel about the group that I have, which is nice, you know, that um, we all ha ha have that. But I'm going to change the question up a little bit right now because I also feel like we come on here and we're only asked about writing. Why we write, how we got our start, what was our favorite, do we outline, are we dancers, do we plot? My next question is actually about you as an individual. Who are you? If we were to go around the around the room and you had to tell me how your friends would describe you, the individual, without the words, without the writing, what do you like to do in your spare time? You know, that we have so much of, but what is it that you turn to other than writing? What else makes you tick as an individual, if that makes sense? And I'm just going to point somebody out. So let's start with Victor, and then we'll just move on. Sure. Uh, well, I, I think um, if I'm what I'm not writing in a way is pretty straightforward. I just like I said, we got I'm married. We have two kids and a cat. And uh, that is really the vast majority of the rest of my time. Uh, and, uh, and it's a great way to spend the time. Uh, and so the, I think the thing people would say is like, uh, he's really, uh, really stuck on that family that he has uh, and seems invested in that. And then the other thing I think <clears throat> my family would say is that, and then sometimes I just, absolutely disappear uh from them because i just need to be alone and the other thing my friend the, those people would say is like he's been in the bathroom a really long time sometimes like what's going on in there and then like 45 minutes later i'll come out and be like i'm refreshed i'm ready let's do math homework whatever it might be uh so genuinely it's like write teach raise these kids leave me alone like those are the four <laughs> quadrants of uh you know but i'll find a thing to do i'll do laundry for the family mm -hmm. or you know i'll really clean that bathroom but yeah. in in but in 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 solitude in solitude because that battery gets burned out <laughs> Get it. Larry? Um, that's a great question. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, in some ways, I kind of feel like I was sort of shot out of a 
like like I'm a projectile that was shot out of a gun or something, and I've just spent a lot of my life sort of trying to grab onto something to slow myself down. Um, you know, and I've kind of I have <laughs> forcefully slowed down over the last few months, and I'm looking at all the nicks and the scars. I mean, when the doctors were talking to me, there were there's a long list of of things, problems, and and I said, you know, it's it's like an old vehicle. You know, the pieces keep falling off, but it's still driving. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, I I almost um, kind of spent my life feeling that uh, I, I'm I'm sort of here to to bear witness to things, to see things, to to, to you know to experience them, and that of course you know runs the spectrum from great to terrible. And writing was simply just an outlet. Uh, many times people ask me, you know, what would you do, you know, if you weren't writing? And I said, you mean professionally? And they said, well, right. Just in general, I said, well, I, I did a lot. I was a lot of things. I was never a writer. I was always, I was always Laird um, who happens to write when I was working these various terrible jobs over the years before I lucked out and started selling uh, fiction. I never considered myself, you know, uh, that job whatever that happened to be at the time i i was laird baron who happened to be in this place at this at this time and i have been confronted you know the whole ai the question of ai it's all the, the sky is always falling with the arts but especially writing oh we're all going to be replaced people don't read anymore etc and so forth um you know what will you do if you can't if you can't sell your work, I said, well, I would go back to doing what I did before I started selling my work. And that would be to do any number of things uh, that occupied my time. And I wrote when I could. Um, and uh, that, and that pretty much is pr pretty much some sums up how I feel about this whole thing is that writing is simply an outlet for me to express myself. Uh, but I think you have to have something to express. And I've always thought that, and I can't speak for other art forms, but but I suspect that there's some commonality here that it you need to spend the majority of your time living and you do your martial arts or you run sled dogs or you um you know you box, you you, you do you know you teach, whatever whatever it is that you do, um that is equally important to any uh that small amount of time that most people have to express themselves to distill everything. Yeah. How about you, Paul? Oh boy. Um, so, I mean, first, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm very lucky at this point in my life, although it's also, it feels like a very strange point in life where my, my kids are older. My daughter's about to go off, you know, we'll go off to college in the fall. My son's graduating from college this, you know, this month. Um, but I don't know for like, I really like one of the first times in my life, I feel like, you know, the sort of the idiom or the saying, like, you know, a person can be judged by the friends and family that foolishly love them. You know, I, <laughs> I feel very lucky. Uh, in that respect, I mean, because on the friend side of things, you know, as a socially very socially awkward person into their like early twenties, you know, it's kind of hard to believe that things are the way they are. Um, 
So I don't know. Otherwise, like, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I feel good about, or feel like I do a good job of describing myself other than like, I love to be goofy with my kids, even when it embarrasses them or especially when it embarrasses them. Um, you know, so many things I do, I feel like is to, just to get outside of myself, whether that's, you know, w- whether it's writing or, or, you know, playing games. Yeah, I, I, I do love sports. For me, that's really my escape. Like reading isn't my escape. The reading is like the thing I do. Uh, I watch a lot of sports <laughs> um, and I'm a competitive bastard when I play games, but yeah. usually in a fun way where people enjoy it as John you know, obviously, or or somewhat famously within our circle, friends anyway, slandered me by saying I threw a chair while playing mafia. I did not throw a chair. I I knocked hurled it over. It. I, I hurled I, it no, into I the stratosphere. Oh, easy there, Coach Bobby Knight. Oh my God, it was terrible. Athletically, straightened my legs and the backs of my knees. Knocked this chair over. Don't play. Don't play table tennis with them. That's all I'm going to say as far as that. But apparently, like the rest of my life is going to be planning revenge against John. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. All right. Um, Who do we have? We have Sarah left still and Livia, right? Um. So. I don't know. I like I'm the same. I when I'm not writing, um, I'm close to my family. Like right now, I, I'm I'm live in LA, but right now I'm on Long Island. Uh, my dad is sick, and I'm taking care of him. And I'm like feel really privileged that I can do that. And we have the mm-hmm. kind of relationship that that's works, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I've got two daughters and my husband, and those people are really important to me. Um, I'm incredibly absent-minded, like shockingly absent-minded. And it's not like a joke. It's not like I'm not putting it on. Like I'm I'm there when I'm with my kids, like, cause I have to really focus. But when I'm not like, I don't know where my keys are. I don't know where my car is. I don't know how to get anywhere. I don't know. Like, it's just, I'm, I'm just always in my own world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Olivia, I think we still have you. Yes. Uh, so I, I, I've been single all my life. I don't have family. I've never had a partner. Um, never had a pet, which is really horrible. Um, like as an adult, like not, not counting childhood. So, so I've had to like, I mean, my, my interests are, have, have always been like solo things, you know, um, cause I, and especially as I've gotten older, you know, and, and the few friends I, I had kind of drifted off because they have, you know, they got married and they had kids and, and, and it's natural. They, they have different lives and different priorities, um, and, and as different priorities on their time. So, um, the things I do, um, when I'm not writing they're they're always usually creative related. Um, I used to go to a lot of plays, tons of them, but it just got so expensive. I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and, uh, I, I, I'm obsessive about music all kinds of music. Um, I have huge Spotify playlists, huge Apple playlists, massive amounts of music. Um, and that started back in the eighties, no, in the seventies actually. Um, so I, I love music from every era I've, I've been alive in. Um, 
and um, museums. I go to a lot of museums. Um, I love, I because I'm alone so much, I just kind of, I mean, I always assume no matter what I do, I'm gonna do it alone. Um, but I like filling my head with, if not with actual other people, with the idea of other people and what they've done. And so for me, museums is is one of those ways of just being out in the world and, and, and being able to enjoy you know, humanity and civilization and everything that's that's been created. Um, but I also really, really love walking. Um, I'm a real flaneur. I love walking around cities. I, I, when I lived in Manhattan, I walked everywhere at any time of the night, um, almost. <laughs> um, and, you know, any neighborhood. Um, I, I started doing this in, in when I was in uh going to different universities. And I was one of those people who would go to like a different university every year because nothing was right. And so I would go to these very wildly different little cities or towns in Washington state, uh, places that would just empty out at night. And, you know, when you're young and you're stupid and a little drunk, you just suddenly find yourself at three in the morning, just walking around and looking at everyone's houses and looking at the stars. And and that's when I really fell in love with walking. And, and now, um, I, I, I keep doing it. I walk along the waterfronts, you know, um, all along the New Jersey shoreline, uh, still walk in Manhattan, Manhattan when I can. Um, wh whenever I'm in a different city, I, I will try to spend some time walking, um, just just filling my head with with other people and places and buildings and and life. Thanks. Thank you. Um, Patrick, do you have another one? Or? Yeah, I was just gonna. There's one okay. short Facebook one, and then there's a oh, longer okay. one. That, yeah, that would be it for me. And then we, unless you have anything, then we would go to the final. I part. have one more before we do that. Okay. Okay. So here's the short one. I don't know who this is addressed to. No new Langan book this year. Um, does does any Langan? Oh wait. Uh. There was more to that. Sarah, you actually jumped in on that. I think that was addressed to John. Um, John, is there a new book? I think. Oh, I'm reasonably sure that was addressed to Sarah. That's yeah. I oh, think there is 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 the new is the new novel next year. Yes. Yeah, it's next yeah. year. It's so there you year. go. That people, come on. That's you know. Don't be greedy. Go back and reread Good Neighbors. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Okay, so but the, thank you, thank you for asking. <laughs> the next question, uh, this is from Jake McCormick. He said, "I'd like to know if there was an occasion where any of the spectacular lineup ignored a piece of advice and were proven right, and the inverse as well, if possible." Uh, I'll I'll start with uh, Laird. Yeah, I think pretty much any writer that's persisted has probably ignored the advice to stop writing as uttered by many, many people in their lives. So, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of have this kind of bellicose reaction to the whole advice question. Everybody wants advice, but, um, they get mad when they hear it. And I, I have a tendency to, to think that's because people take advice too literally. It, it also depends on the context. You know, if you're 
if it's somebody in an authority figure and you're young and tender, then perhaps you can be led astray. But if you're an adult, um, you should have enough rationality to, to understand that when somebody says you should write every day, that, that that is like saying aim for the stars and maybe you'll hit the side of the barn. No, nobody writes every day. Nobody, nobody is able to um, slavishly follow all this, you know, this prescriptive type advice. But um, in, in general, though, like I said at the start, for me, the big one was, you know, you'll never make it writing, you know, is, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pipe dream. And uh, I think that probably applies to people pursuing any number of careers that are not sanctioned. Um, that was a, I, I don't know how you follow that up. So uh, I'll throw it to you, Paul. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think of like a very specific, I mean, the inverse, I mean, we don't have all night to talk about all the times that I've screwed up or made mistakes. Uh, but, but really briefly, when 2013, uh, I gave up on another another novel that my agent thought that I was working on, um, and I didn't tell him because <laughs> I, I I started a head full of ghosts, uh, and the previous novel wasn't really horror, and I hadn't really published horror with my agent. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, fast forward like four months later, I had about 100 pages in in early July of 2013. My agent's like, "Hey, how's that Charles Manson novel going?" Um, and I was like, "Oh, I I." I gave up on that and I wrote this. <laughs> He's like, oh, why don't you send it to me? Which is the only time I ever sent a partial to either my editor. Well, I mean, yeah, either to my editor or my agent. It was the lesson learned. Do not send partials. Um, you know, when he sent me feedback that really could have scuttled the book, you know, in his defense, like he didn't know what the twists were coming. Like I didn't have like an outline or anything, you know, and, and his feedback was like, oh, should this be first person? And, and also he really wasn't like a horror person or not super well read. You know, like I said, like that really for like a week. I actually I think it it overlapped with going to to ReaderCon, which definitely helped just being around people to to give me the strength to be like, you know what? I'm I'm not gonna listen to you know, I'm not gonna listen to that advice. I'm gonna finish this book and then we'll see what happens. Like if I have to get a new agent, I will. So when I did finish the book, um, you know, he was like, Oh my god, I was never so happy to say I was wrong. This is great. Um so, I mean, that was just for me, like a really specific thing. Christ, I listen to myself experience. That's awesome. And yeah, your advice that I don't know if you said it to us or on Brian Keene's podcast a few years ago, which me and Brandon actually talked about today was um, no agent is better than a bad one. And that seems obvious, but until I heard you say that, never even considered it because uh, I'm still at the starting out point and um while we're talking about this sort of thing i i just feel like that's worth emphasizing um i'm gonna go to you livia um i i tend to ignore a lot of advice and and i just kind of like because like laird said uh, a lot of it is i mean it's it's like anything else. You take what you feel will work for you and you ignore the rest. And um, I've never been someone to really be like, well, I'm going to prove them wrong. Um, I will say the the no agent is better than a bad agent is probably 
that's advice that I ignored and I paid the price <laughs> twice. So I, I, I mean, I don't really, I, I don't really have any, any, um, any examples of, of, of trying to of proving someone wrong with advice, you know, um, I don't. <laughs> Not that I can recall. <laughs> Sorry, I have my three-year-old handing me a bottle and his iPad. I was I'm wondering what was going on. It felt looked like you were serving drinks or something. I was like, <laughs> no, that's not that's that's not my Elmo. <laughs> wow, it's blurring out. Censoring the product. So sorry about that. I was listening and someone really interrupted. Um, I was just going to say that I ignored Livia when she said, don't get the sliders. And we all know how that turned out. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, Victor, so um, did you, you didn't catch the, I heard you know, the advice, the advice that you yeah. were given? I'll repeat yes. it. Um, this is from Jake McCormick. He said, I'd like to know if there was an occasion where any of this spectacular lineup ignored a piece of advice and were proven right or the inverse as well as possible. Um, well, I would say the, the, the one that sticks with me the most is probably, um, as I said, I began in more like literary realist fiction and uh, uh, my editor there um I turned in my third book, which was a book called Big Machine, which was very fantastical and weird and wild. And he told me, like, uh, um, you're going to you're going to ruin the career you've built. You're going to ruin any credibility you have. Uh, we shouldn't publish this book. Uh, and uh, um, and you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't start adding in all the weirdness and the. And all this stuff, and we uh, and we had uh, we had it out kind uh, to a degree. I mean, I will say he's my editor still has been the editor for the last for every book since then. So we patched it up, um, but um, I wrote him a like a letter that basically said like uh, this is the direction I'm going, and if you're not willing to go in that direction, then we'll just have to go separate ways. Uh, and then the other thing I said to him, which was honestly like the other part of it was, what would I be losing? Honestly, like, uh, I mean, it was a fine career, but you know, what I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't retiring off what those first two books were doing. So uh, like, what are you holding on to was my other argument. Uh, why don't we try this? Why don't we go in this direction? And if, if it turns out that he, that you're right. And, uh, and this was a colossal mistake, you'll let me know. The market will let me know. Readers will let me know and let you know, and then we'll go our separate ways. Um, uh, and um, and it was absolutely the right direction to go, most importantly, because it was making me happier. Um, the first two books I was very, I'm still very proud of, but they made me pretty miserable to write. I didn't really come out of the experience enjoying myself and so i felt like if nothing else i would i would like to enjoy writing books um and um and in the end his real uh pushback against it uh was just that he he came from a pretty ultra religious background that had like um 
all these things about like the supernatural world and evils and all this kind of, and so, and he hated it so much that he just had a natural bias against like even talking about it. He was like, please, it just triggers all my everything. Um, and I will say like the best result of that was that uh, it forced me to start writing, you know, like I got to write, I, I said, I'm going to write these things, but I do want you to come with me. And so I will do the work that would also convince you to come along, right? Which you which really meant like grounding things a bit more and uh, giving a little bit more runway for things to, for you to know and care about the characters before things sort of took off into the truly strange. And, uh, and, and so even that back and forth that we had turned out to be good for, I think both of us, but certainly for me, you know, um, but that was a time, like he definitely was like, don't do this, don't do this. And I was like, but I'm so unhappy. Uh, that's really why not do it. The the fact that you said, what am I losing? That's something I'm speaking only for myself, but I feel like that might be common where a lot of people might not think about that. They might, or at least when they start, they might think about the, um, oh, this is my one shot to have an agent or whatever, an editor, who, someone that you feel that can bring you to the next step. I feel like that's important. So I appreciate you mentioning, well, what am I losing? And and it's also worth, again, repeating for potential uh, aspiring writers that um, you don't have just one shot. So it's really important to hear what all you have to say. Uh, I might mess up. I can't remember everyone that went. I think Sarah, I think you haven't gone yet. Um, I, like, I'll say a tangent rather than advice. Like sure. I loved what Victor, Victor was saying and I yeah. kind of wish I were more like that. You know, uh, a lot of my stuff, I've just had a really hard time selling it and uh, or where I had an agent for a long time that hated everything I gave him. And, uh, and in my, and I do censoring in my own work. Like I realized that I don't trust the reader. I'm always making something happen instead of trusting that just, just by virtue of the story I'm telling people will want to read it. They don't need hooks. Um, so I don't know. I'm working on that. Um, awesome. Uh, Laird. What's that? I haven't asked you, you yet. No, Laird already went. I think it's uh, yeah. John. 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 My bad. John. Well, um, I had a, a beloved uh, college teacher. Um, she was the chair of the English department. I just absolutely loved her. She was a wonderful woman. She was in, in some ways like my ideal of what uh, an English professor should be, you know, and, and well-rounded, immensely read, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but I had her tell me, horror fiction is not literature. Um, and man, that that stuck it took me a long time to to get past um and um it really took uh, it really took my wife um it sounds bad to say I, I met my wife and i started writing horror fiction but so let me uh clarify um but but she was doing her dissertation on on a jack kerouac novel called dr Sachs, uh which is like his take on the shadow uh the, the comic book figure. And she was like, well, Kerouac thought, you know, pop culture was fine for in, in, encoding, embracing, carrying all kinds of stuff. And for whatever reason, that was what I needed to hear. And, and that just, that just opened it up for me. Um, the, the one, 
the, the other thing, I don't know, this, the, the unexpectedly good advice, maybe uh, I stole from Laird um, and it was actually given to him by Jeff Ford. Um, and I think it was when you were writing the croning that Ford was like, look, it's your first novel. And I imagine I'm doing this in Ford's accent. Um, and you're going to feel the urge to play it safe because it's your first novel. And you're like, oh my God, it's my first book. And he was like, fight that urge. Like, no, go he nuts. Said, he said, go fucking nuts. <laughs> just fucking terror, horrify the editor, you know, just get them. Yeah. And, and, and that, that is the advice. I, I feel like that's the advice. Like, like it's, it's not to say, I mean, look, if you don't have it in you to be bizarro, don't force yourself to be bizarro, but it is to say, whatever you want to do, embrace it and go with it. Like, you know, just actually, yeah. this is, this is an important point because I've been thinking about that advice. And I think that part of the context, I've never asked him this, but I honestly, I think that what he was really getting at is, is that a lot of people who come up in short fiction, and get away with doing wild and crazy stuff because it's different than than trying to sell a novel you can get away with being the crazy story in an anthology maybe or having that crazy collection but i think a lot of writers turtle that were crazy in their short fiction have a tendency to want to turtle up when they run into the interference of or the resistance from the big five you know or bigger bigger houses because they're they are more conservative they immediately tell you what your title is going to be you know, or you got to run it through a committee, all this kind of stuff. And I think he was just subtly warning me in his own way, you know, in his own way, that was the subtext is like, you're going to have an impulse to deviate from what has made you successful so far and what makes you happy. Don't. Excellent. Uh, Candice, your last yes. question. My last question is, if each of you had to pitch one of your novels or stories to someone new to your work, which one is it and why? So we can start with Victor, since no one wants to ever jump in. I'm just going to name everybody. It's Brendan Brendan Writers. Yeah, if Brendan was here, he would say you have to call people out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Victor. Um, uh, I guess I would say I would pitch them uh, my novel, The Changeling. And I would say, uh, have you ever been married? Did you ever have kids? Wasn't it difficult? How about if you killed one of you? One of you killed each other. Uh, doesn't that sound like fun? If so, <laughs> read this book. Out on Apple TV very soon. <laughs> that would be my pitch. <laughs> that is one hell of a pitch. <laughs> All right. Uh, Sarah, let's go to you. And I hate pitching. Like, I was going to be like, I was going to make up a book. Like, there's this planet with cats on it, and I hate cats. Like, <laughs> I just, you should read Good Neighbors. It's the one everybody likes the most. Okay. Uh, John. Yeah. Well, I have two novels, so uh, probably The Fisherman. That seems, as as Sarah said, that seems to be the one that everybody likes the most. So, uh, start with that, and then plunge into the glories that await you next. All right, Paul. I'm going to pitch John's The Fisherman for him. Do you like fishing? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was that the first um, slide? 
I think that was the original first lie of the novel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh boy. Um, I mean, I, a head full of ghosts. Yeah. Like, uh, like most people, like I hate pitching, like as much as, you know, as I'm trying to, you know, and I had obviously a movie get made, but like, you know, and, it's all I can do to keep sort of actually all my friends' voices out of my ears when I hear a producer say something like, oh, where, where's the ticking clock? Or, yeah, we we really want horror, but, you know, it can't be it can't be too grim and we don't want a bad ending. So my my pitch for a head full of ghosts is it's a riff on possession stories. It's pretty grim. And then there's a bad ending. Perfect. You like exorcism narratives, Bobby? <laughs> Lair. Oh, tell me more, John. <laughs> okay, well, let's continue. <laughs> uh, I'll just go with the crowning. Okay. My one, hor- my one horror novel. Uh, ironically, um, it's on Golden. You know, think on Golden Pond, except with graphic sex and machetes and black magic. Perfect. All right, and Olivia, you're up. Oh boy. Um, well, I can't pitch my novel because it didn't sell. Uh, we all it all it all it's been is pitched, um, and no one wanted it. I would I would actually, um, I would pitch my novella, Her Deepness, um, because I feel it kind of encompasses all of my different styles and all of the the things that make Olivia Llewellyn's story, Olivia Llewellyn's story, uh, there's uh, a very strong and weird female protagonist. Um, There's, you know, a strange environment that's kind of both uh, metropolitan and, and wilderness combined. There's you know, Lovecraftian and weird monsters, and there's an ending that that you could interpret as as you know terrible and tragic, but may also be uh, an evolutionary step into something more than than what the protagonist feels she can be. Um, you know, um, it's not a, it's not. It was one. Of, it was my first novella that I got published that was horror my 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 first first novella was just pure erotica um it was also good um but her deepness was one that I worked really hard and 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 long on and I really loved it and I thought it 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 would really establish me as a horror writer and (laughs) it was even online you know and it's just like so I I always tell people when they're like what do I start off with I'm like start off with her deepness it's got like the sex the horror you know the, the strange beautiful environments it's got everything and if you don't yes. like that then don't even bother reading anything else of mine <laughs> so yeah sounds good thank you Patrick over to you to wrap uh yeah so uh, uh, final right. thoughts what can you not hear me Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Final thoughts. Uh, I'll start with you, Olivia. Any final thoughts? Uh, well, that's kind of a, a big ask. I don't know what final thoughts you want. <laughs> On anything. No one said that before, ever. So. Um, 
Hmm. Wow. Uh, no, I guess I guess final thoughts are just um, just that I I I have come to find out over the twenty or so years I've been writing is uh, is that. Uh, the actual act of writing is just a small part of it. You you really, even though I think we are all drawn to writing because we like doing it alone, it's something we can control in that moment. We don't have directors or anyone else standing over our shoulder until later, you know, with the editors, but but it's it's ours in that moment. It's it's our it's our baby, it's ours to control. But but when we step away from it, there's a whole other, you know, community. There's the 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 actual business business and then there's and then there's the professional contacts um but then more than that there's the the friendships and I think all of that really shapes who you are as a writer and I think I I wouldn't say it's important to embrace that some writers are just always going to be like no I hate everyone including my editor and agent and that's the way I am because I'm Harlan Ellison or whatever but but I think for most of us we we do need that and and it and, and it's an important, it's not just an important tool for us as writers to, to have relationships like, like these, like these writers here tonight, but, but, but as a person, you know, with a soul and a heart and, and a curiosity for, you know, for, for art in general, what other people make, you know, um, and, and, and incitement and enjoyment of, of other people's art. I think it's important to have these relationships and and so certainly when you're writing, whether you're starting out or or whether you're, you know, many decades into it, you know, it's important to keep seeking out, you know, those those new relationships as well as as continuing to renew the the old ones. Even even John, the oldest. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I do it right. To Olivia at two. That was like a cruise missile just dropped soup. in. We had pumpkin soup together. <laughs> that was your first mistake. Yeah, that's that where it was. Past, I know. That's where it all started. It all started. Yes. Sorry, Olivia, Olivia is now tied for my favorite Langan because she just owned John. Yeah. Wow. 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 Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll go with uh, Sarah. Um last thoughts well i guess i guess just enjoy your friends because having friends is great and i think it's just i it makes life better does it though that's it john why don't you, <laughs> you say really something did a punching bag tonight i actually i felt bad i like emailed john on the side and was like hi he was like ha ha he <laughs> was like email from your favorite langan exactly <laughs> It's like I'm making that my ringtone. Yeah, <laughs> I'll send you the MP3, man. So, what is your <laughs> final thoughts? <laughs> oh, my final thoughts. Yeah, um, these joking. are the best people. These yeah. are these are my favorite people. Um, and I would I would add a couple a couple more. Like I said, you know, Stephen and Nadia, Michael Cisco, um, and um, you know, we were like Paul and I were at this thing in. Um, the fall, the Westport uh, Library Festival. They have this fantastic library. And we got up on stage to do this panel thing with, with Ellen Datlow, right? And it was me and it was Paul and it was 
Uh, it was Steven and it was Bracken McLeod and maybe Grady Hendrix. I'm not sure. Anyway, like I had this weird moment um, for the first time. I, I, I like sort of looked at us and I looked at the audience. And there were a bunch of younger horror writers there like Rachel Harrison and um, uh, Eric LaRocca, really, you know, brilliant and, and, and sort of up and coming talent. And I was just like, man, we are no longer like the new guys. I don't think we're the old guys yet, you know, like, like, but we're just like the guys or a gender neutral term. Um, and I, I just was like, man, like, like I was suddenly aware 20 years have passed, you know, that, that we're at, we're at where we're at, at, at this particular moment. And I don't, I guess that's part of why this, this, you know, doing this kind of sort of reflective thing feels kind of oddly appropriate to me at a moment to sort of take stock and, and just to a certain extent to recognize like, holy cow, we all, like we made it here, you know, it, it, wherever this is, we, we made it. And yeah, part of how we made it is just, we sat down and we did the work, but part of how we made it was also that we all supported each other, even just in, in, you know, sometimes you get like, like whatever, just a freaking like on your Facebook post. And you're like, Victor, like my stuff or oh, Olivia thinks I'm cool, you know, and um, <laughs> notice I'm leaving out Paul and Olivia or Paul and Sarah. I mean, and um, um, and Laird and Laird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, every place I go, people are like, is Laird here? I'm like, Thanks. Um, but uh, I was the guest of honor at Nikon. And somebody said to me, oh, is Laird here? Is he the guest of honor? <laughs> it's like, you have got to be kidding me. But anyway. I'll never, I'll never not hear that story enough times. I think <laughs> I'm up to like 13. But, but like just warm. No. <laughs> Laird, why don't you go, buddy? Final thoughts, Laird. <laughs> I, I have nothing profound to say, except with all sincerity, I'm grateful to see all of your beautiful faces. That's all I got. Uh, that's awesome. Um, Victor. Yeah, same. Uh, what a, I was, I texted to uh, Paul in the chat and Sarah earlier, like just because it was just so nice to see everybody. And I don't, I haven't seen folks. I think, I think most of the folks I haven't even seen since pre COVID oh, days. Wow. Uh, so I really have missed everybody. And so uh it just is, this has just been lovely. And uh, I guess both on the writing and on the, uh, the friendship level and also on the writing level, a piece of advice that my agent gave me long ago uh, that stayed with me is just like to try to remember this is a, all a long game uh, that you're playing if you're lucky. Uh, and she was telling me that because I was disappointed over something that I thought was going to change my life when my first book came out that with distance I see would have not changed my life. Um, but I was so invested in that idea at the time. And she was trying to remind me, like, if you, if you get lucky, you'll look up after five years or 10 years or 20 years and you'll, you'll see that you've written more books and you'll see that you've met other writers um, uh, who you've come to cherish and whose books you've come to cherish, you know, uh, really like, like I said, like I haven't seen folks for a long time, but one of the things that, is a pleasure is like I in a way I feel like I get to see them like I I pull everyone's books down off the shelf you know every every couple of years I read a story or I read a part of a book or I read the whole thing because I just get pulled in again um and it feels like seeing them again and uh I really do just cherish all of them and this larger community as well it is a pretty beautiful one that's 
That's really nice, man. Uh, Paul. Yeah, I mean, I want to echo the thanks. I mean, these people mean so much to me. You know, I'm when I die, I'm going to have a piece of my corpse sent to all of them. Uh, <laughs> why wait? Wait, why wait? Up? Yeah. No, in all seriousness. With the rest I've never, I've never heard Livia sound I'm so happy. I'm taking requests. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, I, I, I mean, because I veil it with humor, I, I can't honestly convey without truly getting emotional how much these people mean to me and how much, you know, they've changed me for the better. Um, you know, and I would like to extend that also to some, you know, people who already been mentioned that, you know, you know, weren't able to be here and I consider part of our group. And, and again, like, and I want to use the word group in a way of excluding people because I feel like it's such a large, you know, uh, community of people. We already mentioned Nathan and Stephen Graham Jones and Grady and, you know, John, I am going to include Nadia as well, even though she's much younger, even younger than me. Um, <laughs> you know, and also Dude, like you, Priya, you Priya Sharma. You could be her father. You could be her father. No, what are you talking no, about? You're younger. My God. You are, oh my God. Uh, I, I take Jeez, it back. Man. I'm gonna send you my ass <laughs> when I die, pal. That's all you're getting. <laughs> oh and I was trying to thank Priya Sharma and Karen Warren too. That's and then gonna you be a big package. <laughs> <laughs> you're right though, Karen, Karen Warren, absolutely, and Priya. Yeah. Well, we'll take care of this Friday at KGB. That's Wednesday at KGB. Wednesday, that's, whatever. That's, well, so yeah. everybody, this is why Paul didn't show up for the reading two weeks ago <laughs> as you watched this. He thought it was a Friday. These two knuckleheads. All right, Candice, what, what are your final thoughts? <laughs> um, I don't have anything that's going to top any of them. <laughs> So I would just say thank you all. I'm glad I got to be a part of this with all of you folks that I have grown up with and I've gotten to read and admire and respect. And here I am, you know, following in your footsteps. So thank you for what you have done and for just your time here today. And I hope you guys have a great night. And Paul, whenever you do die, please package your ass very carefully when you send it to John. You know, make sure you leave a written note. <laughs> no, we don't want it damaged. Good advice. All right. You don't want to so get a crack I'm... in your package. <laughs> don't want to crack. <laughs> uh, my final thoughts are in all sincerity. I do appreciate you guys spending uh, part of your night here. It means a lot. And I specifically wanted to do this because I think what you guys have to say is really important. And uh, I choked up a few times and I can relate to you guys. Candace is one of my inner circle. Brennan, I know John, you don't like it, but Brennan is another one. Um, I'm smiling, by the way. For the audio listeners, because that is a joke, John. Uh, in all seriousness, again, thank you for your time. This has been a lot of awesome lessons. And um, oh, what the hell is that? You throw me off there. <laughs> well, and thank you both for being such great Sorry. hosts. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having us. This was and thank you so a treat. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. If, thank if you. Many, we're we're thank all you. signing off to kill Paul. <laughs> we're saying, right well you know it's why wait for that ass right i mean right? that's that is an oh ass. I mean, it's, my God. it's an ass worth waiting for don't get me wrong what's what's but, the you know, what's the sign for cut that edit that <laughs> I wait. so many title options you have many choices i was gonna say why wait for that ass is a great new john yeah, yeah absolutely oh, that's that's uh, absolutely yeah that's, that's gonna be next story my next story about paul yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic Many choices in podcasts. Thank you for being us. <laughs> <laughs>